Hey, this is LOA Today, the Law of Attraction show. Welcome to LOA Today. My name is Walt Thiessen. Today is Wednesday, January 16, 2013. With us today is a very special guest, Steve Rizzo, the author of Get Your Shift Together. Yeah, you heard that right. Is joining us today. Steve has a rather remarkable career. He started off as a, a stand-up comic, uh, headlining with people such as Jerry Seinfeld, Eddie Murphy, Drew Carey, and Ellen DeGeneres. But today, he's a, a personal development expert. He he works with corporate America clients like American Airlines, BP, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Scholastic, and Spring, among others. And uh, his book, if you haven't seen it, is called uh, Get Your Shift Together. It is fantastically funny. It is a great way of looking at how to improve your own life through humor. And one of the first things we're going to do is ask him what he means by a humor being. But first, let's uh, welcome him to the show. Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, it's really good to be here. I love talking. Well, good, because we're going to be doing a lot of that today. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, human being. Thank you for those comments about the book. It is getting really good reviews, and I'm I'm very pleased with it. So uh, excellent. You know, it's it's having a big impact all over. So that's that's great. I love getting that message out. So break us in at the beginning. What's a humor being? A humor being. It's a phrase that I coined, and for you people listening, it's trademarked. Okay, just want to let you know. And. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, your humor being is a part of your higher self. It is the part of you that brings out the best in you when times get really tough. What your humor being can give you more than anything else is emotional stability. And today, everyone knows what's going on on the planet, personally and professionally in business, where the American dream seems to be eluding a lot of people. This is when people need to be in tune with their humor beings on a daily basis. Um, your humor being is that part of you also that ignites the sense of humor that so many of us have but we're afraid to use because today we have become so politically correct mm -hmm. that you have to be careful what you say and you have to uh, uh, be concerned that you might not uh, offend someone because you're laughing at something serious. And I think the problem is that a lot of people today uh, don't know that thing with laughter is that there's a difference between laughing at something that's very serious and laughing off the fear that represents it. And, and that's why we have this gift, laughter. It literally uh, laughs off the fears that you're carrying around in your life. And if you learn how to hone in, and I teach this in the book, how to hone in and, and get in tune with your humor being on a daily basis, it, it actually comes out up to the forefront and it becomes a part of who you are and you're able to deal with life uh, on a much more positive level. Humor literally nips negative thought patterns, Walt, in the bud before they blossom into emotional havoc. I thoroughly agree. Thank you. I, you know, it's, it's amazing, though, because uh, this politically correctness is, is stifling our laughter genes and our humor genes, and uh, people don't know that, uh, gee, you know, even though there's a, there's a tragic situation happening in my life, um, I can still appreciate simultaneously the joy and the laughter that is around me. You know, of course, you still might be feeling the pain, but you can you owe it to yourself. It's part of the healing process. You ever notice at funerals, when people go to a wake or a funeral, that uh, one of the first things that happens so often after you're crying and you're, you're missing the person who's deceased, but everyone starts getting together and telling funny stories about mm -hmm. the deceased. It, it kind of it kind of makes you realize too, through these funny stories, and everyone joins in, and there's a moment where you just have this feeling like a, um, the person's not really gone, and that's what humor does. It makes you realize that the spirit lives on, you know, and 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 those memories will will never die, and and that's another thing that humor does. So it's okay to laugh in in in, in those types of situations. As a matter of fact, it's crucial. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's interesting, too, to hear a comic uh, turned attitude adjuster talking about this because, uh, especially if, you know, for somebody who's worked with, like, you know, Eddie Murphy, who's absolutely known for being politically incorrect, I mean, to hear you address that topic, that's that's a really good thing. I think it's a comic who has to actually talk about that, so I'm glad you're doing it. I, I appreciate it, yeah, and, and, and we do. And, uh, 
you know, um, I, I think if people looked at laugh or f- laughter from that perspective, that it's a healing tool that we all have. As I said, it's a gift, but what good is a gift if you don't open it? And, and don't get me wrong, there are people out there who are offensive, and, and there are people that laugh at offensive stuff at the expense of other people. And, Absolutely. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about degrading people. I'm talking about just, you know, finding that laughter. You know, I don't know if you guys saw this during 9-11. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was three days after 9-11. Uh, when uh, everyone was saying, oh, my God, what's happened to this country? And there was a lot of fear. And it was like two or three days later, Letterman, Letterman and Leno were cracking jokes about, you know, Osama bin Laden. And uh, and he was being bombarded by uh, by a, an arsenal of humor. And uh, that humor was very healing because it made people realize, when they, people were watching that show and listening to people laugh at jokes about... 9/11, and it wasn't about 9/11 itself. It was about finding the humor, and they were—they did it with such a way, it was so crafty the way they did it. And they were just knocking Osama bin Laden and the terrorists, and 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 our ability to bounce back, and it just made people feel a lot more at ease. And that's what humor does. It helps you to deal with tough situations. It helps to restore some sense of balance. Because- oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, I um. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Christopher Reeve no. uh, five months before he passed away. Wow. We were both, oh, it was an incredible experience, and this story is in the book. And we were both uh, keynote speakers uh, at the San Diego Convention Center in front of, I think it was 7,000 people. I was the opening keynote, and when I got off the platform, Dana approached me and started kissing me and hugging me, and I'm <laughs> like, I don't even know this woman. What is she doing? <laughs> I knew who she was, but why is she kissing me? So... She was thanking me, and she said, Chris would love to meet you. He loved what you were talking about. Would you mm. mind? And I said, oh, my God, I'd, I'd be honored. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I go, um, we're walking back into the green room, and uh, Dana is explaining to me that throughout the whole time I was up there, they were watching me on the big screen in the green room. And Chris told the other eight people that were in the room to keep their mouths closed or get out because he wanted to hear what I had to say. So I go in, and I, I'm talking to this man, and hearing about what happens to someone like that is one thing but when you witness mm. someone sitting in a chair and the only thing that he could move was his eyes and yeah. his lips mm. it, it's a it's a reality check mm-hmm. and he said to me and folks i gotta tell you something this was the biggest compliment to this day i've ever gotten he goes i really appreciate what it is that you said on that platform and mm. i was talking about the power of positive thinking and stuff and he goes especially the part about your humor being he goes, if it wasn't for my sense of humor, I would never have been able to accomplish what I what I accomplished in these past nine years since my 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 accident. Now, uh, I, I know a lot of people heard Chris say that one day <clears throat> he was going to walk, and we all know that didn't happen. But that's not important. What's important is what he did with his life in the time that was allotted him on this planet, and what he created in those last nine years was absolutely phenomenal he did more in those nine years than most people could ever ever accomplish in a lifetime and he attributes a great part of that because of his sense of humor if you read his second book nothing's impossible the whole second chapter is called humor that's all that it says humor and it's the longest chapter in the book where he claims that humor was the one thing that helped him to bounce back Every day when he felt he would be on, it would be unable. He would, it would, he it would be impossible for him to bounce back. He mm-hmm. always gave him that bounce back factor. Yeah. Now, if 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 he could look at humor from that perspective, I believe anyone can. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And your your use of humor obviously derives directly from your past career. Give us just like the, uh, a quick tour how you. Uh, started as the stand-up comic, and then how you evolved into your your new career, which is the one that you've been living with for quite some time now, and, and turned into a very very successful second career. Uh, yeah, it was, and it was uh, it was quite a ride, and and quite a decision to make. And um, at the very middle of my comedy career, I noticed that a lot of people that were opening for me. Uh, uh, Drew Carey and Den- Dennis Miller and Rosie O'Donnell and 
a host of others, they were going past me and making it on TV and uh, just catapulting to stardom. And I couldn't understand why opportunity wasn't knocking on my door. And through uh, some harsh reality, I realized it was. I was just afraid to open the door. You see, I had a, an intense fear, and I didn't know this at the time. Mm. Of, of failure and success. <laughs> so mm. you talk about not being able to make up your mind. So <laughs> both those things I had a fear of. And as a result, I sabotaged many great opportunities that were coming my way. I either made an excuse that I couldn't audition because I had to be on the road to play at a club or whatever it was. And, and I decided, uh, as the anger especially started setting in, and uh, I went on a self-help quest to better myself and I read almost every book you can think of on on how to better yourself and motivation I went to all these seminars Tony Robbins seminars and to make a long story short in the midst of all this the comedy industry was really interested in me but at that point I was really no longer interested in it because my view I realized as I was changing inwardly my perspective of the world was changing also and mm. I had this calling which was really a uh, uh, Difficult thing for me to do, but uh, and I explain this, I think, uh, very clearly in the book. Uh, I had this calling to do something else, to help people. On a, uh, and I, I knew I had the ability to do it, and I wanted to be a speaker, and I have what most speakers don't have. I'm very funny. I can captivate the audience. So the tools that I use to turn my life around uh, are the tools that I use when I speak to corporate America and, and when I do my private seminars. In your book, you also tell a rather insightful story about an encounter you had with Rodney Dangerfield. Could you uh, relate that story, too? Yeah, this is uh, the part of the book where um, um, I'm talking about the importance of enjoying yourself during the process of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. The traps that most Americans today uh, fall in when they put their happiness on hold and corporate America is indicative of this more than anyone. We, we say to ourselves, even on an unconscious level, uh, I'll be happy when the weekend's here. I'll be happy when I make more money. I'll be happy when I achieve the goal. I'll be happy when the kids are out of the house. I'll be happy when I get more respect. And it goes on and on and on. And the whole time you're creating this very dangerous mindset, and you're actually fulfilling a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you tell yourself you won't be happy until, you won't. Mm. But the problem is, is that even when you achieve the goal, you won't be, and I'll explain that to you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was working Rodney Dangerfield's comedy club uh, every weekend in 1986. And this is when Rodney was at the pinnacle of his career. That movie was out, Back to School, and right. um, he was like voted one of the top three recognizable faces in the country. And I remember getting off the stage and who's walking in, as he often did, to try out new material, but Rodney. And the crowd is going absolutely ballistic. I mean, they're just going crazy. They're screaming, Rodney, Rodney, Rodney. And I'm in the back of the room, and he goes up on the stage, and I'm admiring this guy. He does 10 minutes of new comedy. Hey, how you doing? It's good to be here. You know, he does the whole thing. Hey, you're beautiful. All right, baby. So he goes to get off, and they wouldn't let him get off. And they're going, no, you're number one, you're number one. And women are grabbing them and they're kissing them and they want them to sign their autographs. And I'm in the back of the room saying, oh, my God, this is what it's like to be a star. Yeah. The evening is over. The audience is gone. The doors are locked. The waitstaff's cleaning up the room. And I sit at the bar, as I usually do when he comes in at the end of the night, and I put my arm around him. I give him a big kiss on the, on the cheek, and I say, how does it feel to be a star, man? And he downs a double scotch. He looks right at me and he goes, well, I'll tell you, Stevie, it sucks. Mm. It really sucks. My whole life sucks. And I was waiting for the punchline. Yeah. And I realized there wasn't one. And he went on this rampage, this verbal rampage on how he should have made it 35 years ago and how the entertainment industry screwed him out of a life. And he put his whole life on hold for this moment and he still can't enjoy it. And I tried to explain to him, you don't understand, man. You're at a point in your life where most comedians die out. No one knows who they are anymore. You, you have a number one movie that was rated a 10. I said, you were voted one of the top three recognizable faces. Didn't you hear that audience? You get that everywhere you go. And he said, I don't expect you to understand. All I can tell you is that 
it sucks, and I'm just not happy. Now, here's a guy that should have been living his dream. Instead, he was living a nightmare. And this is what I want your audience and for you folks to understand. Right. Yeah. This all happened because some point a long time ago on an unconscious level, he created a mindset that signified he couldn't and he wouldn't be happy until he achieved a certain status in life. Now, here's the irony. Even though it took him 35 years to do it and he finally got it, he still couldn't enjoy it. Mm. And this is the reason why. If the journey towards the goal is polluted with so much negativity, anger, fear, jealousy, whatever it is, guilt, you're only going to create the same reality, the same mindset when the goal is achieved because you take it with you. You're only going to have fleeting glimpses of, wow, I finally got it, this feels good. But then that mindset stays with you and says, okay, now that that's over, what else do I have to do to feel happy again? And you put your happiness on hold all over again. The point is you have to enjoy the journey towards the goal. It's more important than the goal. The goal is just the icing on the cake. The journey is the cake. What good is all of that icing without a cake to put it on? Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, uh, as I was reading that section of the book, I was thinking to myself, boy, am I guilty of this one. I mean, I've really got to work on that one, and I have been working on it, but uh, it, it just resonated with me. And, and I wondered how it affected you because, like you said, this was the mid-'80s, and you ended up making your shift a few years later. So I'm wondering how much did it affect you then and how much did it stay with you? It still stays with me uh, because I create. it becomes a habit. And that's why I, I, I love the title of the book, Get Your Shift Together. I'm really asking people to change, but change scares people. So what I'm saying is, I mean, you don't have to change. It's just a matter of gradually shifting your perspective on your life. Shift your way of thinking. Shift your focus. And as a result of doing that, you create another habit, and without realizing it, you do change. But that mindset of, I'll be happy when, you know, it's amazing. In the comedy business, everyone starts off with, this incredible uh, euphoric feeling. And you're, wow, I'm doing something that most people couldn't even conceive of doing. I'm on stage and I'm making people laugh and I'm doing a great job. And that, that's good for a while. Then all of a sudden the business takes over, mm -hmm. the business part of the art. And now that's when you start seeing, you know, people getting TV shows and people start uh, making more money and then people start uh, headlining at bigger clubs and and then that part of you is going, you know, when am I going to get that? When's that going to happen to me? And all of a sudden, that euphoric feeling that you had, the art of making people laugh, no longer satisfies you. So you're no longer enjoying the process. Now you're putting your happiness on hold, and you say, you know what, when my time comes, that's when I'm going to enjoy myself. You don't even have to say it out loud. You do it on an unconscious level. Mm. And, you just, and, and when it doesn't happen as fast as you want, you just get totally frustrated, and it it affects what you're doing in the moment. It affects your performance, and it it affects your family members. It affects your friends. I can't tell you how many marriages were destroyed um, in the comedy business because uh, people weren't happy because they didn't get what they thought they deserved and mm. couldn't even enjoy the fact that they were still making people laugh. And And I believe... People have that same mindset in almost every business they're in. You can do that to yourself no matter what it is that you're doing. Oh, How come so-and-so got the raise? How come I didn't get the raise? I'll be happy when I get more respect. I'll be happy when they keep telling me to, not to do this or not to do that or to do this. And the whole time, you're not living in the moment. You're, you're putting your happiness on hold. So now we're at the nub of it. Talk about making that shift. How do you go about making the shift? Because you obviously made it very successfully. You have an yeah. amazing career now, and so you did it. But how did you do it? A lot of drugs. You take a lot of drugs. <laughs> <and you can. laughs> no, what you do is uh, um, I show people in the book step by step um, on how to enjoy your life and how to start each day with an unstoppable attitude to succeed. And it all starts on the first thing in the morning, as soon as you open up your eyes. That's when your day begins. That's when your creativity is at its most powerful. And you have the incredible opportunity at that moment when your eyes are open to steer your thoughts and your emotions in the direction that you want it to go. In other words, you can choose to seize the day or you can let the, the day seize you. 
I think you guys can agree that most people, as soon as they open up their eyes, the first thing they focus on is the grueling day that they had the day before, the idiot that they had to deal with, all the stuff that didn't get done, and then they start thinking about the stuff that has to be done on the coming day. And they can't understand why they're dragging themselves out of bed and they're moping and they have that same train of thought going on and on and more negative stuff starts building and more. And then the kids are going, good morning, daddy, good morning, mommy. And then more, oh, i got to feed the kids and more stuff happens. And they can't understand why when they're walking into work and, and things need to be solved and problems need to be solved and their energy level is so, so low. Or they have a personal goal that they want to achieve and they can't understand why it's so difficult. You can't, you can't succeed. You can't be at your best if your energy level's that low. You have to start each day with your energy level sky high, and people don't know this. They don't even know they're doing this to themselves. So what I suggest people do, as soon as you open up your eyes, before you take the covers off, before you plant your feet on the, on the floor, is immediately start focusing on something or someone that you are totally grateful for in your life. And it doesn't matter who it is or what it is. It could be maybe it's the person lying next to you. Maybe it's your, your children or a particular goal that you achieved, the birds singing outside the window, your dog lying on the side of your bed, the smell of coffee. It doesn't matter what it is. Just hold on to it and build from there until you just start feeling just a little bit better. This takes seconds. It takes a lot longer for me to explain it than mm -hmm. it is for anyone to do it. Yeah. And, 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 and so you might be asking, well, well, why? Because gratitude is the most powerful connection you have to your higher self. You always want to start your day connected to this part of yourself. This is the part of you that uh, views challenges simply as they are, challenges, not at li as, as life trying to uh, uh, make, turn you into a victim. And when you have this, this mindset going of what you're grateful for, you know, as soon as you take the covers off and you plant your feet on the bed, you just yourself you know what i'm i'm going to enjoy this day you know i can do this i have things that need to be done i think the thing that people have to be aware of is don't think about all the things that you need to do uh think about who you have to be in order to get it done and, and I, I believe that's the key and and if you can catch yourself in this state of awareness and say oh my god how how am i going to expect to get things done with this mood i mean i i got clients to meet i i have patients to meet i have I have, I have, it's my child's birthday today, it's my anniversary, whatever it is. How am I going to enjoy this with this mood? Bad moods snowball. As soon as you start thinking about one thing that isn't working in your life, other things start snowballing. Before you know it, you can actually create a reality that says your life is worthless. And, and it may be the complete opposite of what it is. But if you believe that it's true, that's all that matters in your world. You know, and, and by starting this day with this attitude of gratitude and telling yourself you're going to enjoy the day and getting that energy level crank doesn't mean that you're not going to be confronted with challenges. Of course you will. That's why you have to start your day off with this head start. Mm. You have to create it with this mindset because at some point during the day when you do lose it and you are angry and the workload is stressing you out, something will click and you'll say, hey, whoa, whoa, I promised myself I'm going to enjoy this day. You know what? There's something within me that can meet this challenge. I can handle this. I've got to bounce back. I have a client to meet. I have a busy day. I have to achieve this goal today, and I can't in this mood. I have to turn it around. Before you know it, you're back on track again. It's just creating a new habit. It's just shifting your focus and your way of thinking. And it's and such a small why. change to make. That's the thing that's so amazing. I mean, you're describing making one small change at the beginning of the day, and that does it. That, exactly. But it doesn't do it right away, you know. It, it, you have to do it on a continuous basis before it becomes a habit. Yes. But the thing is, what you got to do uh, is as soon as you do it and you start noticing yourself feeling a little lighter and a little better gradually, you make that conscious reminder to yourself, to your brain, and you say, wow, I'm feeling better. This stuff works. And the reason why you do that is that you're reminding your subconscious that the next time you get snagged in the same type of scenario, um, it'll remind you, remember what you did the last time, try it again. And the more you do it, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Before you know it, you have created a totally different habit. So rather than starting your day off in a bad mood, you're starting it off in a it doesn't even have to be a great mood, but it's a better mood than you, what you were used to being in. 
And that's my promise when you read the book. I don't guarantee this is going to bring you total happiness. I will tell you this, though. It'll make you happier than you ever thought you could be. And as a result of being happier, you stand a better chance of being more successful. Now, you've been presenting this message to corporate offices. Office, offices? Yeah. To corporate yeah. personnel for how long now? Uh, Fifteen years. And what kind of responses do you get? I can only imagine, but uh, tell us anyway. <laughs> it's it's incredible response, but you, you should see how nervous they get. When I make the statement, and and <clears throat> I laugh at it now, but the first time I did it, I, I I thought I said something to offend someone. People were actually fixing their ties, and women were fixing their, their dresses, and they were just, you know, shrugging their shoulders around. This is what I said. I said, listen, here's the bottom line, people. You are very successful people in your definition of success. I said, but it totally amazes me that if you look up the word success in any dictionary, it only says uh, achieving which that you desire or achieving your goal, nowhere in the definition of success does other words, happiness, enjoying yourself, or joy. And it totally blows me away. And I tell them, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you make. Everyone in this room could look at you as the ultimate success story, but here's the bottom line. If you're not happy, you're not successful. And if you're having a tough time enjoying yourself during the process of whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you're ripping yourself off. And that. That's fascinating. The fact that that, that is received in, with such jitters is yep. itself fascinating. Yep. But look, if my job, and this is my job, is to wake people up and, and to help them to better their lives on any level, um, you know, they're going to have to hear it. But the response you get after it, which is why I get called back time and time and again for these corporate companies, because this is a message that no one else is giving these are what I call the intangibles. These are the things that you don't see in a self-help book. You don't see someone, and if, they, if you do see it, it's in maybe one paragraph. I have a whole book on it. You very rarely have people say, that the, the ten things that help me to be successful. You never hear anyone say, oh, and I have a great sense of humor. No one says that. <laughs> I always manage to laugh off the fear. Very, I, I, don't, I don't know of anyone that has said that, unless you're an expert on humor. Those people will say it. I never heard anyone say enjoyment uh, and, and, and even de designate a, a whole chapter on it, on, on how important it is to enjoy yourself. The journey towards the goal is where it's at, man. The journey towards the goal is where your life unfolds. All of your challenges come to the forefront. It's where you're saying to the whole entire universe during that journey, I am here and I am capable. It's a declaration to yourself and to the entire world. And we bypass the journey just because we can't wait to get to the goal, because that is what success is supposed to be. And by doing that, we miss out on so many opportunities and gifts yep. and experiences that are so enriching in our lives. Yep. And you know, you're so right. And you know, how many times have people come home from work and they take their problems home? And, and your little girl or your little boy are going, Mommy, Mommy, look at me. Are you really looking? Are you really paying attention? Or is your mind on the crap that you had to deal with at work? And, and you're thinking about, oh, my God, it's the same crap tomorrow. And you'll never have that moment again with your child. It's gone. It's gone. It's out the window. And people yeah. bypass all this stuff. Well, and you also, the child looks at you as unhappy. They, they yep. sense it. And they feel the loss, but it also sets up a mindset and a pattern for them that being an adult is not about being happy. You just hit it on the nose. You're exactly right. Your children learn by what you do, by the actions you take, not by what you say. Right, and it self-perpetuates that um, mindset and yep. style of living that it's, oh, it's hard, it's of focusing on the negative and not on the positive. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's why I was raised with the mindset. I love my mom and dad. May they both rest in peace. But I'll tell you what, man, they were, they were very negative people. And that's only because of the way they were raised. There was always, always fights in the household about money. You know, what do you think money grows on trees? What do you think I have enough money? Do you think I'm Rockefeller? What do you think this? I can't pay the bills. And I always heard this. And, and I grew up with that even till this day where money is abundant in my life, I, I still get these fear jolts of, uh, you know, it's going to disappear. 
I I really can't have this much and 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 I have to I have to shift back and you know laugh at it and just go okay no no that's not true because I know I'm doing fine now and I have to sometimes fight against it shift against it it mindsets uh, set at an early age stay with you forever and they stay with you always uh, it's just that you have to be able to um, you know to deal with it I'm just sitting here. I mean, absolutely everything you're saying about the kids and parents is true, but I'm still sitting here thinking about what you said five minutes ago, that there's nobody out there giving talks to corporate environments that include the idea that that success should include happiness and joy. I'm just sitting here speechless thinking, I mean, there are like, what, hundreds, thousands of people who make their careers going around making these talks, and nobody's saying that? Yeah, you know what the general mindset is? I don't want them to enjoy themselves. I want them to laugh. I want them to make money. I want profit. That's what I want. Well, Not realizing that if you're having fun, if you're having joy, if you're laughing your butts off, that that stuff ignites creativity and productivity. Right. And the um, atmosphere within corporate America, from what I know, and I've never worked in big corporate America, but is nose to the grindstone, produce, 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 and you know, work long hours, dedicate your life, and you know, more yep. than 40 hours a week to the job. We don't care if you're happy. We don't care if you burn out. Yep. You're here to produce for us. And if you're laughing, they would think you weren't doing your job. You were goofing off. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and let me make this clear, too. There are quite a few that are getting the point. And, they, and I, I am, I'm happy to say that I've spoken for quite a few corporate groups that, uh, where the people are absolutely ecstatic working for them. And that's because... They allow them to laugh. They allow them to have fun. Some of them even have what they call Friday fun days, you know, where people dress up any way they want to, you know, uh, whether they want to dress up as the Roaring Twenties or whatever it is they want to do, and people (laughs) just have a ball doing it. And uh, I I think that's great. I think that's great, especially today where times are really so tough and we don't know where we're going with the economy. And um, listening to the news, it's so, so, so negative, and it's so easy to get caught in that negative zone and uh sometimes you just have to uh you know do away with that stuff and focus on all the great stuff that your life has to offer well you just touched on a point that uh, is kind of tied into something else i was thinking about you pointed out how the news is always so negative but it's not just the news you look at entertainment look at movies and plays and so forth so much of it is based on down so much of it's based on negative and and of course hollywood is known for the happy ending which which sometimes does happen in the movies but for the most part, so much of it is, is, is negative. What what do you do with your life when you're trying to entertain yourself and, and do it in a way that doesn't bring you down? Um, I, I I I listen to very little news now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I try not to listen to it. Um, you know, with the economy, it affected a lot of people in the speaking business. Mm. Uh, I'm going to get real personal now. I mean, really did uh, a, a lot. And uh, I've had people call me up and saying, oh, my God, I'm going into my retirement account because corporate America wasn't hiring um, because they didn't know where they stood as far as finances go themselves. So they had to, they had to stop their conferences. And when they did have a conference, they never hired speakers. They had in-house, in-house speakers. So where there was a lull in my life at one point, I uh, I was forced to really practice what I preach, which is when the the book itself uh, I started this book years ago, but I really vigorously got into the book and, and finished it because uh, uh, it taught me a lesson. I had to practice what I preach, and I just started focusing on, wow, it's great to be home. Wow, man, I really love spending time with my wife. I have two labs. I have exotic birds, and I was spending time with them. I have two acres of land and uh, going out to dinner with my wife, having company over, and it was great being home, so I shift my focus on not looking at uh, not working as much as being unsuccessful, I looked at it as this is another part of my life that I can enjoy. And, um, yeah, of course, there were times when I shifted back to the negative and said, you know what, uh, this doesn't look right. Uh, I don't feel right here. I should be on stage uh, talking to people, and I should have more bookings. And um, I didn't do that. I'm proud to say that I, I did walk the talk. The book was finished. And uh, as a result of focusing on the positive, I... Uh, I believe that I set out that type of energy out into the universe, and uh, my message was picked up uh, tenfold. 
and uh, now um, my calendar is full again, and now I have the opportunity to take off whenever I want to. So, it's that that's it's, terrific. I mean, that you just outlined in in <laughs> one statement uh, a person's experience, any person's experience with the law of attraction, with positive thinking, and so forth. Starting off in in a, a place where you have uh, the idea of how the thing works, running into a, a brick wall, feeling like you have no options, applying it anyway, and then producing results. I mean, you just outlined it in one statement. That's fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm a genius. What could I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> no, it's, have... it's, you know, it's simple stuff, man. It's all it is. Well, it's simple stuff, but it can be a challenge to apply it. I mean, I know in my own life it has at times been a major challenge, especially earlier on when I was still trying to learn how the whole thing worked and, and you know, why it works and, and when it works and all that kind of thing. It, it can be difficult trying to, to work your way through it. So just sticking through and, you know, sticking to the whole game plan, so to speak, and working through it and just letting it play out while you actually try to enjoy what's going on in your life right then that's that's quite a, a feat all yep. by itself. So, well, what makes it difficult? Uh, a few things. Number one, there are a lot of people right now probably listening saying it's a lot of crap, and because yeah. uh, they don't get how something that simple can turn your life around. Right. And then there are those that say, "Hey, that's pretty cool. Let me try it." But they only try it once, twice, or three times, and they say, ah, "This stuff doesn't work." Mm-hmm. And, and 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 well, it's it's like anything else that you want. You know, going on a diet, physical fitness program, whatever it is, you can't. You can't expect to achieve the goal in, in a couple of days. You, you've already created, some of you out there have created uh, a negative habit, a, a lifetime of it. And to counteract that, it's not going to take a week or two or three weeks. It's going to take some time. But you start seeing these gradual differences, and, and that's what keeps you, that's what, if you can last with it long enough where you start seeing these little differences and people start coming up to you and saying, you know, you've changed. Um, there's something about you that's different. Then you get more incentive and go, wow, this stuff is really working. It's like working out in the gym. You know, I see people in the gym. I've, I've been going to a gym my, my entire life. My wife and I almost every day we go. And when I'm on the road, I do it. But some people get frustrated. They have all the energy in the world, and they say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And um, they don't give themselves enough time. After about a month or two, they go, well, yeah, it, is, it isn't working. But if you give it enough time, there comes a point when you get out of the shower and you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I'm looking better. I'm looking pretty good. And when you can get to that point and admit that you're looking better and you're feeling better, then you have an abundance of incentive to keep going and say, wow, now now I'm on to something because you're actually seeing the difference. And that's what you you, you got to be really uh, dedicated to wanting to make a difference and, and to get to that point where you see the difference, which gives you more incentive to go even further. Now, one of the, oh, absolutely. And one of the keys that you uh, present in your book, and it seems to be also part of your presentations too, is that when you're up against that wall and you're dealing with and trying to, to stick with it, so to speak, so you can just keep persisting, one of the keys that you emphasize the most is laughter and humor. Tie it in. How how exactly? I mean, you, you, imagine some scenario that you ran into recently, and you had to, to to give yourself that shift. How did you use humor to do it? Well, first of all, um, Mark Twain said, "Nothing can stand against the assault of laughter, not even fear." And it, it's 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 such a powerful statement, and. I, I can give you a few different examples. Um, one in particular, where it's a typical everyday occurrence, when uh, my wife and I are in a hotel room, we had an important dinner meeting with with um, a client, and uh, I tell this story in the book. And I'm I'm running around the hotel room. It was a suite they gave us, and I'm looking everywhere, and I can't find my glasses. My wife is ready, which is very rare that she's ready before I am. And um, <clears throat> she's sitting in the chair, and she's watching me frantically, and I'm cursing, going in and out of the room. I can't believe this. We're going to be late. <laughs> I can't find my glasses. And I'm looking at her, and she's going, hmm, 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 hmm. And I look at her. I said, well, what are you sitting there for? I said, get, at least get up. Help me find my glasses. Oh, you want me to help you find your glasses? I said, yeah, help me look for them. She goes, oh, okay. Why don't you try your face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my glasses, well, I was wearing them. <laughs> 
and now at that moment, I'm going to be honest with you. I was really upset at her because she knew how important this meeting was. We were late already, and uh, because a flight came in late, the whole thing, and I'm rushing like a maniac. And a part of me wanted to just yell and and just I was so upset. And I was going to say, I can't believe you did this. And all of a sudden, I noticed she's trying so hard not to laugh. I mean, (laughs) she's just trying to be a a sport about it. And I see her holding it in. And a part of me at that moment said, laugh or ruin the evening. Yeah. I mean, right then and there, I knew. And all of a sudden, I just looked and I said, oh, yeah, there they are. I knew they were there the whole time. And then we both just started laughing our butts off but the funniest thing is that uh um she said what did she say oh i was holding the car keys in my hand and she said well if now if we could just find the car keys (laughs) we might make it there in time for dessert (laughs) and you know my wife is incredible she's she's funnier than i'll ever be and she is the motivator behind the motivator i mean she she walks my talk better than I do, and uh, I, I, le- I learn a lot from her. I've been with her for 25 years now, and she's just pretty incredible with, with that. But um, that's just one example with, uh, with humor, and, you know, you can even find it in, even in tense situations. Uh, yeah, just the fact that you told a story there that doesn't require telling a joke, but it's, it's, it's just picking something out of life because stuff like this happens to everybody in life, and then looking at the funny side of it. That's all it is. That You know what? And that's a good point, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people in my workshops will say, you know, well, you know, it's easy for you to be funny in a situation like that because you're a comedian. And I, and when that, the first time I heard a person say that, I, I realized, I would go, wow, yeah, that, that, that's true. It is easy for me. So my point is, and I want everyone to get this, it's not important that you um, – Tell a joke in the midst of a stressful situation. I'm not asking you to be funny. I'm asking you to see the funny. Now, right. there's a difference. Right. That's all I'm asking you to do. And, and even if you can't see the funny in that situation, and if, you, if this, something happened that angered you, and you walk away and you're still angry, maybe you had an argument with someone, and you just go, I can't believe that person did that. Most people hold on to that for days, and they reinforce it by telling other people. Let me tell you what he said to me, and you're reliving it again. So now you're mm. even more angry, and yep. you just can't let it go. But some point in, during that day, the chances are something's going to happen that's going to amuse you, or someone's going to say something to you that's amusing. Maybe you're going for a walk, and you're seeing two children playing, and one kid says something that's really funny to the other. That's when you have to allow yourself to laugh. Because if you're still holding on to the anger, that just doesn't make sense at all. Right. So humor is around everywhere. It may not be within that type of situation, but it's somewhere, and you allow yourself to laugh it off. Walt and I are very lucky in that we use a lot of humor in our relationship, especially when one of us is down or having a tough day. Um, Walt loves to tell a story. He'll be in a – this hasn't happened in almost a year. He'll be in a down mood, <clears throat> and if he's – laying on the bed or something, I'll go and I'll literally sit on his chest, grab him by the, he doesn't have lapels, but his sweater, and I look at him in the, dread in the eye with a smile on my face, and I say to him, snap out of it. And we just start laughing. And sometimes it doesn't snap him out of it in the long run, but for that minute or few minutes, (laughs) he's laughing, we're laughing, we're having a little fun. And it moves him forward. Yeah. And that's exactly my point. And that's the perfect words because, you know, snap out of it is is what you're really telling him to do. You, you're, you're snapping or you're – it's the same thing as saying shift out of it. Shift. Yep. Shift yourself out of this because yep. it's not a happy place to be. It's not a good place to be. My wife sometimes jokingly will give me one of those uh, – did you ever see um, Moonstruck? When when Cher smacked uh, uh, Nicholas Cage, that's what my wife does. She'll smack me in the back and go, snap out of it. She'll go like that. And, you know, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. It's immediately now. It's such a response. I laugh every time she does it. I have to admit, I feel feel blessed when uh, Louise does that because 
I don't know if I can convey this to you, the, the visual of it, but she, she gets this look in her eyes. Of course, she's smiling. She's grinning, and, and her eyes get wide, and, and it's almost as if she's like one of those cartoon characters with the eyes that are spinning around, and she yells, snap out of it! And then she hits you, and you have mom. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's, oh. I, I know. There's always humor in the house, in, in this household, and uh, we try to look at it from that perspective. My whole family was like that, always. My my mom and dad had a great sense of humor, and, you know, my brother's my sister, and, um, you know, it's it's something uh, that a lot of people have, and they don't think they're they're supposed to, and it's a shame, unfortunately. With the humor that's in your house, I imagine it has uh, passed down to your kids, too. How do you see that uh, as it uh, evokes itself in your everyday life? Oh, it's it's wonderful. My son has an incredible... My son's uh, 32 years old, and he has an incredible... It's very dry, but it's an incredible sense of humor. And, um, you know, it's different than my humor would be, but it's it's humor. And everyone has their own, their own timing, their own sense of humor, and... Uh, you know, I did a little study a couple of years ago, and I, I, I interviewed people that worked in emergency rooms and hospitals. Now, that's sick humor, but they need that. Oh, and, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, military people have it, uh, 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 police officers, firemen. Yeah, um, anybody in those high drama. Yep, 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 but nonetheless, it, it, it's humor. Uh, when 9-11 happened, I'll never forget, uh, um, uh, there was a guy with bandages. He was a, he was a fireman. And he had bandages all over his eye, and, and his arm was in a sling. And um, it was such an emotional scene. And um, I remember sitting there watching TV, and the audience, the people in the background were solemn, and the reporter was very, very low-key. And she goes up to this guy and with the microphone, and she says, how is it that you are exhausted, your arm is in a sling, you're all bruised and cut up, and you have a patch over your eye, and yet you're going back in there to try to find more bodies. Without missing a beat, he grabs the microphone and the typical New York attitude and goes, Yo, lady, first of all, I'm from New York. Second of all, I'm a fireman. That's all you need to know. And everyone started <laughs> laughing. Everyone said, that and, and the laughter only lasted a couple of seconds. But here's the point. Sometimes a couple of seconds of laughter is all you need before you decide to give up. Yeah. Sometimes a couple of seconds of laughter is all you need to catch your second wind. And we owe it to ourselves to do that, to or for ourselves and for our children and for our family. And just a couple seconds laughter is enough to break the spell. Yeah, exactly. And that, it's exactly what it is. It's a spell. So, um, and, and that's a perfect example of someone laughing in the midst of really intense trying times. Mm. Yeah, that was. Uh, you know, I'm the sure there are some people uh, that watch that and said, "How dare he make a joke?" Because some people just don't get it. Mm. Some people just do not get it. I know a woman, and God, I forgot her name, who wrote a little book. It was a little book, who was diagnosed with cancer, uh, and and it really spread. And she wrote a book called "I'm Having a No Hair Day," <laughs> and it. What a book. It's all with cartoons and sayings to help you get better. And there are some people who had cancer that just thought the book was offensive. And there were those who said yeah. it was one of the things that helped them heal. Yeah. So there you go. It's a matter of perspective, shifting your perspective. Well, let's assume for a second that we're going to be talking just to those people who at least can get it, even if they don't get it yet, but they're, they're open to it. And let's assume that we're talking, in this case, to people who are still suffering from the economic situation, they're unemployed, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, in a sense, we've been addressing their needs all along anyway, but just talk to them a second. It, you know, right now, you're, you're trying to figure out where the next uh, uh, bit of money is going to come from to pay the rent. You're trying to figure out where the money is going to come from to you know, buy the next uh, bag of groceries. How do you make your mind shift? What, what, what do you do right now? When times are tough like that right now, what you, need, what you need to do is to stop that big mouth inside your head, the one that's saying, I'm, going to, <clears throat> I'm not going to have enough money to feed my family. Uh, I'm not going to be able to get another job. Um, uh, those are the things that are going to make a bad situation worse. Not only did you open up the door to the negative zone, you're inside the negative zone. And the key to that is becoming aware. When you start with this, what I call negative 
curse talk, self-curse talk. You're casting a spell on your life, and you're leaving yourself uh, with no hope at all. And without hope, there's no hope. And uh, that's a heavy saying. Write that down. Um, so what you need to do with that awareness, and once you say to yourself, My, this is not making me feel right, I don't feel right here, that's when you have to start shifting your way of thinking. I call it methodically shifting your way of thinking. You methodically shift your thoughts. So instead of focusing on what isn't working, what you do is that you say, hey, you know, I have, I have two children that I love. I have a husband or a wife, and focus on all the things that you have, and the fact that you had the strength once, at once upon a time, and the intelligence to have a job, and that uh, you're not the only one in this situation. There were so many other people in that situation. Um, take yourself for a walk and focus on the the beauty that nature has to offer. Um, look around your belongings, and I don't care who you are, and I don't care what it is that you're going through. There is always, always, always something to be grateful for in your life. Whatever it is, you hold on to that and you build from there. And you focus on that. Christopher Reeve, that's another thing that happened to him when he was in a hospital and he was contemplating suicide. And he asked his wife, uh, please, uh, you know, I want to end my life. And she, she told him, you're still you. And... Your children still need you, and I still need you. And when he saw his children walk in through the door, even though he knew he wouldn't be able to walk again and do the things that he once did, he realized that they needed him, she needed him, and that was the gratitude, the fact that they needed him. He was grateful for that, and he held on to that, and he built his life from there. That, in a sense of humor, helped him to catapult his life to do the things that he needed to do. And... You know, one of his comments was, my life isn't, and I'm paraphrasing here, my life isn't what I thought it was going to be, but there was still joy, there was still love, and there was still laughter. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who think that you have nothing to be grateful for, think what he went through, and tell me right now, and tell yourself you don't have anything to be grateful for. Yeah. You do. You're just not looking for it. You're just right. not. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, and, and in fact, the other thought that occurs to me uh, is that while it didn't work out for Chris in terms of him, you know, reaching his goal of being able to walk again and so forth, just because it didn't happen for him doesn't mean it can't happen. It is possible for people to make that kind of recovery, and you certainly don't want to put yourself in a mindset that's going to block you from having that opportunity. Well, well, that's a that's a great point. That's a great point, and here's something else that happened as a result of that. He created. Uh, a mindset, an attitude that was incredible, and people started to realize that, you know what, he was moving his fingers and his hands, and that was supposed to have been totally 100% impossible. I remember so that, now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now there's a study going on that um, attitude and the power of your thoughts has a lot to do with turning the impossible to the possible. So now they're finding because of him and because of that situation, he was in a place where he's able to help people now to create the attitude that they need to turn their lives around and perhaps do what he couldn't do. So well, he opened uh, that door to the thinking that the impossible is possible in that the mindset had been, if you have this level of uh, traumatic brain injury, yep. there's no hope that you'll ever improve from where you are. And he shifted that to there is hope, there is a possibility. We don't know how far we can make the change, so let's open that door. That's exactly that's exactly right. That's exactly what he did. And, and to paraphrase it, he was saying, you can focus on what I no longer have. I'm going to focus on what I do have, and I'm going to move from this point on. And that's what he did. And it In was, fact, was, if I... If I remember correctly, t toward the end, he, it, I, I mean, could be wrong about this, but didn't they have him in a swimming pool toward the end of his life and he yep. actually was able to move his legs? Yeah, he was able to, to like, do like a dog paddle type thing. Right. And move his legs, not his arms, but his legs, like a paddling thing with his legs. And they were, they were totally amazed. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. But uh, science are all in agreement today now that you can actually change, by your belief system, your genetic makeup. You can change your genes. Yeah. We have a future sister-in-law whose study is in 
neurochemistry. It's bi- mm-hmm. Yeah, bi- biochemistry with an emphasis on neuroscience. Neuro- yeah, and she has been uh, graciously educating us on how thoughts change brain chemistry. Yep. And the, she's doing some research on that and that there is more research. And just that fact that if you believe something can happen, you there's a good chance you can make it happen or at least advance and maybe it's sort of like evolution that this person moves it this far forward and the next person moves it even farther forward, um, but that we can change our brain chemistry. We can open up other areas of our brain, and they say we use so little of our brain that there are other areas that we, by the way we think, change, opens up areas of our brain yep. and things that we hadn't even felt were possible are becoming more possible and um, new areas for study. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Not to, I couldn't have said it better. And that's just it. In, in the nutshell, um, the thoughts that you have about any challenge in your life will ultimately determine the quality of success and happiness you're going to have in regards to that challenge. Contrary to what most people may think, it's, it's not the situation, it's not the event, it's not the circumstance that takes place in our lives that determines how successful or how happy we're going to be. It's how we think about it. And the reason for that is because your thoughts have the incredible power to either minimize or maximize the effect that that challenge has on you. And it's not your thoughts in and of themselves that gives them great power, it's what your thoughts create. You see, your thoughts formulate the beliefs that you have about anything in your life. And people don't realize that. I'll ask a question right now to the audience right now, people that are listening. Have you ever wondered where your beliefs come from, the beliefs you have about religion, sex, politics, your boss, your job, the beliefs you have about anything in your life are formulated over a period of time through a consistent way of thinking. Mm -hmm. The more you think it, the more you solidify the belief. Those beliefs formulate your attitude. And they all formulate the way that you feel. That's how powerful your thoughts are. So if you can change your thoughts, you can change your reality. There are people that go through the course of their lives not thinking that they're good enough and smart enough who could be incredibly gifted. And it may not be true, but if you believe that it's true, that's all that matters in your world. Your brain, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between true or false. It only knows the information that you program into it. So your thoughts literally... Um, write the story of your life. In fact, as we're talking about this, I'm recalling that there's there's actually an example of somebody who was completely paralyzed who did get up and walk, and that's uh, Morris Goodman, who was one of the presenters in the movie The Secret. He crashed an airplane, and uh, some nine months later, he walked out of a hospital after they told him he would never walk again. So there's an example of a case where somebody actually did it. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And my brother Michael, who's 100% disabled as a result of the Vietnam War. Oh, tell about that story. I read that and I was like, wow, that's fantastic. Tell that story. He's the, he's the biggest inspiration of my life. He's the, he's the book, as you know, is dedicated to him. I mean, it's without him, there's no book because the tools that he used to turn his life around and the tools that I found on my self-help quest are the tools that, that I'm giving you right now. He's 100% disabled as a result of the Vietnam War, the only man in medical history that ever survived that kind of wound. He's in uh, uh, journals and medical books as someone who beat the odds. He shouldn't be here today. 21 feet of his small intestine were either taken out or blown out on the battlefield. Um, And his kidneys and other internal organs were damaged as well. And the only reason why I'm being graphic here is that I want everyone to understand what he went through so they can fully appreciate how he turned this around. Right. Uh, I'll never forget the first time that I saw him in St. Albans Naval Hospital in Queens, New York. If it hadn't have been for my mom and dad in the room with him, I never would have known it was him. He went from uh, 168 pounds to 88 pounds. In the room with my mom and dad were his two friends from high school and his Marine Corps buddy whom he had gotten wounded with. And the whole day, my brother was going in and out of consciousness. And it was at the end of the day when the doctors came in and told my mom and dad I'm sorry, but it doesn't look like he's going to make it, not even through the night. I'll never forget the look on my mom and dad's face. His two friends from high school walked out of the room, and his Marine Corps buddy was hitting the wall saying, why? And as all this was going on, I remember staring at my brother, wondering if this is going to be the last time that I'm going to see him. And I was only 17 years old at the time, and I remember 
vividly something strange started happening. His hand started slowly rising from his side. And um, he clenched his fist, and up came his middle finger. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know. And right then and there, I knew he was going to try and make it because he still had his sense of humor. And that was the answer he gave to the doctor's diagnosis. And to be quite honest, folks, that's the answer he gave them every time they told him he wouldn't be able to do something. First, they said he wouldn't live long. Well, they're wrong because he's alive today. Then they said he'd have to eat oatmeal and baby food and liquids uh, because they didn't think his digestive system would be able to hold anything of any substance. You know what my brother's attitude was? Is hey, don't you ever tell me what I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat a bowl of pasta and a couple of meatballs, even if I have to sit on a toilet while I'm eating it. So, um, you know, to make a to make a long story short, he was in the hospital for uh, um, for, for quite some time, and um, to this day, when he goes. Uh, to the uh, uh, doctors for checkups, they say, well, here comes the miracle man. And um, they say what happened to him is a miracle. And, and here's my point to all the listeners. I believe in miracles. I believe, though, we all have opportunities to perform our own miracles and when life throws something our way, it's a matter of what you believe. And where do your beliefs come from? The thoughts you keep programming in your brain day in and day out. My brother incorporated the belief system that was absolutely second to none. It was incredible. First of all, he never said, why me? Which is what we have a tendency to do when life throws something at us, when things aren't sure. going our way, whether it's big mm -hmm. or small. First thing we do is, why me? As soon as you say that, you open your door for the negative zone, and then you walk in, and more stuff starts bombarding you, all the negative stuff. My brother never said, why me? He said, this is me. This is what happened. This is what I have to deal with. What do I have to do to turn this around? Who can I go to that can help me? These are the things that helped him to survive. And the thing that helped him to, and, and you know, one time, as a matter of fact, it's amazing. He was eating a sandwich, and he wasn't supposed to eat anything of sub substance. And we would sneak him in hero sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> one time, <laughs> you know, slice of pizza here and there. And one time, the doctor came in and reprimanded him for eating. You're not supposed to be eating this. You only have, you know, 21 feet of your small intestine were taken out. You only have a foot left. My brother got so pissed off at this doctor, he took the sandwich and he threw it at him. Mm. And he said, you know what your problem is, doc? You keep focusing on and reminding me about the 21 feet I no longer have. He goes, I keep focusing on the one foot I have. Why don't we try it my way just for once? Wow. Two days later, the doctor came back and apologized and said, let's try it your way. And that's what helped him to turn this whole thing around. But the thing that helped him more than anything else, and if he were here, he would tell you this, it was his ability to make a conscious choice to enjoy himself during the rebuilding process and to find the laughter in between and even during the tough times. That's what separated him from everyone else in that hospital. I'm not passing judgment, but these guys had their own pain to deal with. I know that. But I honestly believe what separated them from him was that they were saying, how can I enjoy myself and find the laughter the way I am? Or I'll enjoy myself and find the laughter if and when I get better. Now, my brother said, I'm going to enjoy myself now. I'm going to start laughing now. As a result, it helped him to get better. You see the difference in that mindset? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he out after being in a hospital for a year. He was 95 pounds. He said he was going to go to college. We didn't think he'd be able to do it because he wasn't Mr. Whiz Kid in high school. He went to college, straight A's, graduated with degrees in administration and history and education, went back to the same school that he graduated from, uh, became a history teacher. From there, he became an attendance officer. From there, he became an assistant principal. Then he became the principal. When he wanted to retire, they wouldn't let him. They made him superintendent of the entire school system. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He just graduated. He just uh, retired two years ago, and now he's traveling the world, and he's got more life and gusto than anyone I know. And the moral of this story is that it's not what happens to us, folks, is what determines how successful and how happy we're going to be. It's what we do about what happens. It's the thoughts we have about the challenge that formulates the belief and the attitude that determines how successful or how happy you're going to be. It's the actions you take, the, the, the choices you make, and will you dare to challenge yourself to enjoy yourself and find the laughter during the rebuilding process. That's the key. We all have the power to make that shift. Everyone does. Absolutely. And you can continue to eat the hero sandwiches and the spaghetti and meatballs along the way.
there you go. <laughs> well, Steve, this has been wonderful. This has been an absolutely enjoyable uh, time talking with you and, and hearing your stories. And, man, oh, man, I, I wish I was in every single one of your audiences anytime you make a presentation because it must be an event to behold. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Before we, before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? Um, you could go to my website, um, and that's probably the easiest place to uh, to get the book. No matter what page you go on on my website, and it's a great website to to uh, to search because you can go through it. There's a lot of stuff that you can see. I have a lot of videos that don't cost you anything. But as soon as you go on the home page or any page you go on, you'll see a little ad to purchase my book. You click on it, and you'll have a choice to either uh, purchase it from Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. And it's all there, all the information. It's called Get Your Shift Together, How to Think, Laugh, and Enjoy Your Way to Success in Business and in Life. And uh, that's how you get it. And I hope you purchase it, and I hope it helps. Yeah, and give them the website address, too. Oh, yeah, that, that'll help, wouldn't it? <laughs> it does help a little bit, yeah. There you go. Uh, it's steverizzo.com. Steve, S-T-E-V-E, Rizzo, R-I-Z-Z-O, dot com. Very easy, SteveRizzo.com. Gee, do you think you could have made that any easier? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Rizzo, thank you so much for joining us here today on LOA Today. We really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, folks. Steve. Thank you for your time, and thank you for what you do. I appreciate it, uh, because you you help to spread the message, not only me, other people that you interview, and I, I really totally respect what you guys do. Well, thank you very much. We're, we're enjoying it every step of the way, so we're trying to do it the right way. <laughs> Absolutely. If there's anything I can do to, for you in the future, don't hesitate. Contact me. You have all the information. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.